Hi, this is Rodney Lim, owner and clinical supervisor of Advanced Counseling and Communicating Love. The purpose of my podcast channel is to help you progress, overcome challenges, and succeed in those things you'd like to accomplish or learn. Over the last 27 years in practice, as a licensed clinical counselor and marriage and family therapist, I have worked with a variety of clients with many struggles, but I have found there are three main areas that people can use a little help in. Mental health, including anxiety and depression, marriage and relationships, and pornography challenges and other things that cause difficulties in relationships. Each week, I will tackle one of these areas. So whatever you are struggling with, you can listen to that specific podcast area. I hope to give you real tools and suggestions that work. I hope to educate you on how to support loved ones and how to work on relationships. And most of all, I hope this is informative and helpful to you. Be sure to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, where you will find lots of great resources. You can also join me for a live webinar every Thursday if you'd like to ask questions. Go to my website, communicatinglove.com, for all the information. Now, on to the good stuff. I am excited today about a topic that I want you to be thinking about. So what I want you to think about is why you got married. There's a book I have that has a fun title. It's by Carl Fred Broderick. And the title of his book is My Parents Married on a Dare. And then he tells the story of how his parents met. And it was actually a dare back in the times of people being transient, recovering from World War II or from the war and different things. They had just met and they married on a dare. Uh, It's always interesting to me. I often like to ask couples when I'm not in the counseling office. Well, in the counseling office, I ask the same question as well, but that is one that's easy to ask out in public as well as how did you meet and how did you decide to get married? I'm always fascinated by the answers to that. Why did you marry? And so was it on a dare or Did you get married because you met someone and you decided that they'd be a good partner for life? They'd be a good uh, friend and lover and they would be a good person to be with for the rest of life and forever. What I have found oftentimes in my office working with a lot of couples is that not everyone marries out of love. And in fact, I would rather believe that A lot of us, we think that we marry out of love, and there's a lot of things that influence our choice who we decide to marry. Here in America, generally, we have that choice ourselves. But what I found is a lot of individuals I've worked with that have trauma, they married to get out of the house because it was more trauma staying home. And so when someone came along that offered them a better environment, so they believed, than what they were living in at the time, they jumped at the opportunity to get out of their house that was full of chaos and trauma. And so there's actually a lot of people that get married to get out of trauma. Unfortunately, oftentimes that leads from one traumatic environment to another traumatic environment. There's often improvements for a while, and each time they've done that, some people have made that choice three or four times because they've learned more in each 
time they get in the new situation and they apply that and they do better and better. But it takes three or four rounds because they started with such a rough start. But it's interesting as I work with a lot of couples that marriage, we think that we're married and all grown up, but we realize that we're not. And at least that's been my observation. When we get going and the older we get, the more we realize we didn't really know a whole lot when we first got married, first got in a relationship. I had a client yesterday call me. It's been a couple of years since I visited with him. He's out of his last relationship into another new relationship and wanting to make this next one better than the last one. And so the advice I gave to him that we've discussed and we'll be working on going forward is working on the communication and talking about things as he gets into his next relationship. I had a thought. I've heard this often. We often choose what we see pattern in our own family of origins. I've seen that quite a bit with the clients I've worked with is they often choose a partner that reminds them of um, either their mom or dad. And so that's also an interesting thing to think about. And then a quote that I've heard too that I absolutely love, it says, we choose the love that we feel like we deserve. And so that also plays a factor into all of it as well that I've seen. That's great. Thanks for that comment. Harville Hendricks is a guy that I did training with years ago. And he talks about the Imago relationship that's along that same principle is that we actually marry someone. It's kind of like the yin and the yang perspective is that we marry someone that matches. There's the saying that birds of a feather flock together and opposites attract. And how are those the same when they're completely opposite? Well, what I say is they're not the same is that because they're really, to me, they're on different topics. Birds of a feather flock together, to me, relates to individuals' level of maturity. And so when we meet someone at a subconscious level, we meet someone that is the same emotional maturity, give or take just a little bit. And so that's birds of a feather to me, is same emotional development. Now, opposites attract in the sense of that different talents and different abilities. And so that's why we often are attracted to someone that has different skills and abilities because that helps us feel more complete to be with them. And so two halves make a whole. And yet the goal in marriage is to become whole and complete ourselves so we can be our whole self to give to our partner in marriage. But that's an ongoing process, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So any other comments or thoughts? Yes, I have one. Sure, great. All right. I wonder if people even think past the marriage, like the marriage is the, the end point, and it's just what you do instead of thinking what marriage is. It's just you grow up, you get married, you, f- you find someone, you get married, and then now what? Or you start having kids and then they're like, oh, we should probably be married or, you know, whatever their story, whatever your story is. Sometimes you just end up married. Well, it was the next thing to do. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And 
is becoming more, I guess, more aware in the community. I've observed that there's been a lot of awareness and backlash because getting married has been such a big event and so costly. It's like it's been getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the weddings have become more and more and more expensive. You know, from five thousand to ten thousand to twenty thousand. You know, and I've heard of some people spending a hundred thousand dollars on their wedding and reception, and they take five to ten years to pay off that debt from just getting married. That's a rough way to get started, because then you're in debt. If individuals in the marriage worked as hard as they did on planning the marriage, I don't think we'd have divorce. It takes a lot of work to plan such an event. So if we take the thoughts and what it takes to plan a marriage, if we did that planning a little bit each week, each month, on how we can improve our marriage, it can get better and better and better. So those are a few thoughts there. So why did you get married? to escape or to get into something better. And so why we do things helps determine our level of commitment. And so our level of commitment to me is one of the biggest factors in success or failure of a a relationship is how much commitment there is. And that kind of brings up the premarital counseling or, or knowing each other before, like finding out what your histories are and finding out kind of what your motivation has been all along. I find that some couples don't even know each other's past in a way that will help them create the future they want. Right. Yeah, very much so. An ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. That's what the value of premarital counseling, I believe, is. Looking back over the last 27 years of my career, I would say that probably three out of four that I've done premarital counseling has not gotten married actually, because it's a good preventative step. And when they've gotten in to really get to know their fiance, they found that maybe they've been going too fast into this and they decide maybe that it's not as good as they had imagined. You know, at some level, we all have some distortion and fantasy beliefs, what marriage is going to be like. And so it's a good idea, those who do have premarital counseling, and it helps improve and make things better. If someone's committed and ready for that, it's the best thing there is. Those cases where they end up not getting married, the reality is they came for counseling because they were having some conflict in a relationship already. And so they wanted to make sure that the marriage was going to work. And when they began to understand what caused the conflict, they decided that maybe it wasn't the best of relationship. And so, yeah, why do you get married? I guess, why do you come into counseling? A similar kind of question. What's your purpose for that? If it's to enhance your abilities, then it's great. If it's to learn and be educated, then that's what changes things at times. So... Here's a great question is, how do I help my spouse and I be on the same maturity level as we grow through the years? That's a great segue to some other things I wanted to share. The individual that called me yesterday, the main advice that I focused on, and another couple I started with last week, the first assignment that I gave them because of what they were needing, it was a young couple, is that they needed to go get some parenting books. 
they don't have children and they were wondering what's it going to be like when they have children. And so part of preventative is to start studying parenting together. And to me, that's one of the greatest activities that any couple can do is to read parenting books together for a couple of reasons. One, it prepares the couple for being parents. And we all come from different backgrounds. And so by studying the parenting book together, that helps get both individuals in the same mindset and working together when children do come along. That's one good reason. More importantly, I believe that studying parenting is the way that we grow together with our spouse and we get more mature. As much as we think we're all grown up, there's always more to learn and do and uh, lots to learn. Unfortunately, myself included, the majority of marriages, a lot of women I know share that they feel like oftentimes that their husband is a kid and acts like a kid half the time or more or less. Or when the kids come along, the, the dad is often just like one of the kids. It's been the joke of a lot of women that say, I have three boys. I have two children boys and a husband. So, you know, it's fun to do that. But there is some truth to that in reality is that as we grow together in the marriage, we mature and grow together. And so one of my favorite Parenting books was by Dr. Becky Bailey, and I wanted to share just a couple ideas that I think would be useful in a marriage. So when it comes to parenting, the rule of thumb that she shares is that, you know, how many times do you have to teach a child? And what she says is a child actually needs to be test. They need to test certain behaviors 2,000 times in context. And so that 2,000 times in context is what really helps them learn to be successful as they mature and grow. I've worked in a prison in the past, and what I believe there, a lot of those men I worked with, they never had that 2,000 times because a lot of times they had an absent parent or grew up on the street. And so they needed to have an experience about 5,000 times for them to learn different behaviors that were more pro-social to help them succeed and grow up. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. So is that like 2,000 times of acting out the appropriate behavior? Uh, yeah, ideally that we can, we had that experience 2,000 times. So if we're angry and as a parent, we intervene with that anger and we help redirect them. So, for example, um, one of the things that's good as a parent and good as a spouse is to help be aware of our emotions. With a child, when the child is acting out, for example, we want to help them identify and, and say a statement like, you seem really angry. And so it's helpful for a child to label the feelings that it seems they are expressing. And so then, after we help them label that, then we help show them a more appropriate behavior. For example, if you have a toddler on the floor and they have a piggy bank and they're, they're shaking the bank and they get really angry. And so you say, you seem really angry. And then observing what their behavior is, you share, I can show you how to make the pig squeak or help you make it squeak. 
And then the question, helping them have control, do you want me to help you? So for one, the question helps distract them from the anger and it helps them realize that they can start thinking for things. And that's a preschooler age for that kind of communication. As a hypnotherapist, I know that some of the challenges that we have are from our childhood and, and infancy. And so even though we're grown up and in a relationship, there's still parts of us that still need help labeling different emotions that we feel because the ego state from our childhood is still working on maturing. And so that's part of how we help our spouse, how we grow together, is to help them be aware, setting loving boundaries and asking them to label their feelings and asking them to practice doing it more successfully. So one of the keys to happiness is forgiveness. And I'm grateful for my wife for her ability and skill to be forgiving. There was a story one day, and I, I've shared this uh, in another time in a different context, so it's worth repeating. One day I was uh, frustrated in the garage doing some project, and I came in. My wife was brushing her hair, and I came in, and I blurted out something, and it caught her off guard, and fortunately it wasn't a personal thing, so I had enough sense to watch her reaction as I blurted out my frustrations. And as I saw her reaction, I stopped and I literally walked backwards. And I said, let me try that again. So if you think about the old blockbuster videos, they had a sticker on the side that said, be kind, rewind. So I call this my blockbuster intervention. When I, when I walked backwards, I said, let me try that again. I walked back in, rehearsed, trying to do better. I did do better, but with a twinkle in her eye, my wife said, that was better, but do it again. So I backed up and I did it again. And she gave me some more coaching. So I repeated that and improved third time and the fourth time. And by that time we were giggling and laughing and it was fun to have a hug then. And Really, I was just letting off some frustration that I had on some project I was working on. It wasn't meant to cause stress for her, but it did. So in context of practicing and when we come across things, it's good to be kind and rewind. And the magic thing is to at least practice three times when you come across something that needs changing. If we will do that, then that helps us practice and I think really to change our childhood's behaviors and emotions in context of practicing, we can do that 2,000 times. So there's an acronym that I want to share. It's called Safety Price. So it's, that's an acronym. So Safety Price. S is state clearly your goals and expectations. So when there's misbehavior or conflict in a relationship, that's a good thing. State clearly your goals and expectations. The A is anticipate potential problems. So as you state that and you anticipate those, then it gives more discussion to help. As you anticipate those, hopefully that you can avoid those problems that might cause it to fail again. F is to forgive yourself when you lose control 
regain control by soothing yourself. And that's a whole other topic. We'll talk sometime about self-soothing, mindfulness, and things like that. So that's important, is forgiving yourself. And then look to the environment for solutions. And that's the E. So looking for solutions, ways to change the situation that caused the trigger or caused the conflict. P is for teach the skills necessary to meet your expectations. That, that brings up a lot of things. I, I'm often surprised as I work with couples, when I ask, well, what do you really want? What do you want your spouse to do? The answer is, I don't know. And yet, they're frustrated and angry at their partner. And when asked what they want, they're not able to answer the question. And so that's part of improving the relationship is learning to identify the wants and the needs. Okay, so then why is remembering that you are in charge? You are in charge of your emotions. You are in charge of how you communicate and when you communicate. So be responsible for that. That's part of being a mature adult. All right, so that's the safety. Price, P, is plan ahead. And R is rehearse. We talked about that. Practice what to say and do. And oftentimes in my office, I'll have couples practice right there. Say this. And so they repeat it. And then I have them do it in their own words and then do that a few more times. And the couples that have taken that seriously it's fun to hear back from them a week or two later where they say that things have been much improved because they've been shown how and they've actually done what we practiced. So that rehearsal is important and valuable. Actually, I want to stress that point even more so is unless we practice, we're going to keep doing it the same way because when our emotions are high, we are not taking the time to think. It's the practice that helps reinforce our ability to take the corrective action. Because then when we're not thinking. In the military, that's what we did, is we went out and practiced, practiced, practiced. What kind of reaction, you know, when you're getting shot at, there's not time to think. So how do you want your body to respond when you're not thinking? And so we would practice. I am grateful for emergency personnel and doctors in ER rooms that they don't have to stop and think what they're supposed to do because they have practiced. We need to do the same kind of training for ourselves in relationship when there is a conflict or difficult situation in relationship. We need to practice enough so that when we're not thinking that we can act out the more successful behavior. So rehearsing is probably one of the most important elements of changing patterns in relationship. So the I is information. So we need to give that information to each other and the information of what is likely to happen with certain behaviors. And that's part of anticipating potential problems. Jumping back to that is that when we can inform or associate certain rewards or consequences that will increase the motivation and rate of change. As we communicate that clearly and come to an understanding that, then that's the C is communicate, and then E is expect success and focus on that success. So 
safety price. So uh, as I work with couples, one of the things that makes it a lot more fun to create change in a relationship is that reward and consequence that's attached with a desired change. So when couples are in conflict, sometimes some bad words fly or insulting words, and those really, they damage the relationship a lot. So those need to be eliminated. So figuring out what is pleasurable for the couple is a way to add pleasure to that or painful. For example, the most recent one couple, they said, okay, we're going to eliminate these. And we made the list of words that they were eliminating out of their communication when they were upset. So with that list of words, the agreement that we made was that when each of those words were used, for each word, a dollar would go into the kitty. And that jar where the money went was to be used on the next vacation. So that helps in a couple ways. One is that when the words are said, the focus is not so much on how that's a personal insult. The focus is on changing the behavior and the reward of looking forward to going on on the vacation. So that helps change the pattern in the mind, focusing on different rewards and consequences. So that's one couple as they put a dollar in the vacation jar. Another couple uh, focused on the consequence is for each word that was used, it was supposed to be eliminated. There was five minutes of cleaning the bathroom. So associating bad words with needing to clean the bathroom, that was motivating for another couple. Another couple, and a common thing is for every word, is they owe three minutes of a back rub to make up for that. I made you feel bad, so I'm going to make up for that to help you feel better. And so it's kind of a challenge. If someone really wants a back rub, they might start poking their partner say, <laughs> until they say a bad word. Okay, now you owe me a back rub. But when it's done in fun, in that sense, you know, it's a building activity. All right. So safety price. That's a good acronym for that. So in a more simple way to intervene, parenting acronym is ACT, A-C-T. So in a relationship, A is for acknowledge the feelings, the wishes, and the wants. C is communicate the limits and the boundaries. What are the expectations? Communicate those expectations. And then T, target acceptable alternatives. So if you want the shorter one, that's easier to remember. ACT, acknowledge, communicate, and target the alternatives. And that is an important part of improving our relationship. I like that you introduced the topic of parenting to study that together as a couple because it it gets the subject off of each of them, which might be, they might feel attacked or insecure about their experience. And they can talk about this other subject that they're not as emotionally involved in. But I, I could see other subjects working as well. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, parenting gets into identifying juvenile behaviors that we all have when we get upset. And the Gottmans, they talk about how, you know, when the emotions hijacked, oftentimes our best behavior. And so I actually have a, a monitor in my office that goes on the finger to check heart rate because they say that when our heart rate goes above 100 beats per minute, and I always say 90, 
is that we lose the ability to be logical. When our heart rate goes up, when we're upset and emotional, we lose the ability to be logical. And so emotionally, that's a time to have a timeout. So till our heart rate back is lower, and then we can be more open to having a healthy, logical discussion. Acknowledging the feelings, but not letting the feelings be out of control. That's the main thing. I mean, we've all seen some adults lose control with anger. It looks like a two-year-old, even though the man or woman is in over 30. It's not the most pleasant sight when we act like children out of control. So practicing being good, that's what we want to do. All right. So there's a good question. Is how do you help couples who quickly fly into fight or flight gain greater self-awareness? That gets into the mindfulness of practicing mindfulness. So there's two sides of that. The prevention is practicing mindfulness. And the intervention, like we talked about, you have to practice what the intervention is, like walking away, taking the time out. So with the couples, when the emotions are high, oftentimes the words aren't very adequate. And sometimes, oftentimes the words actually just trigger more conflict than problems. So with an agreed-upon strategy ahead of time, I have couples come up with a nonverbal signal, and they practice that nonverbal signal, such as a timeout, like a referee does, a technical or a timeout. That might be the signal. Another couple they had with it. In one hand, they put on top of the head, or they just put their hands over their ears. As long as it's agreed upon ahead of time that that would be the signal is, I need to stop. Our communication needs to stop. We need to have a timeout. And based on the couple, whether that was a 10-minute or a 30-minute or even an hour timeout to have a chance to go away and calm themselves down. So then they can come back more prepared to have a healthy conversation. So walking away is, I mean, practicing walk away. Actually, have couples talk and give the signal and then walk away practicing that, literally. Walk away. Another fun way that I often have couples, and those who do this, as funny as it is, it really does succeed. And that's in a when a couple finds themselves in an argument, the first one that sits on the floor wins. And the person who wins means that they get to talk first five minutes uninterrupted without their partner saying anything. Again, it's a prearranged game. You know, just like going to a basketball or football game, the rules are understood ahead of time. So when you make the rules in the relationship and those are understood, and as long as they're followed through with, then that helps build healthy boundaries and a chance to build greater and greater success. Another thought is that, you know, sometimes some adults just are immature and they act out. If it's a toxic environment and adults are not acting like adults, then the best thing is to remove yourself from the situation. Take a time out and you can come back and check. I mean, usually you'll know about how long it takes that person time to cool down. And after they've cooled down, or maybe even wait a day, 
when they're in a better place would be the time to discuss alternative behaviors. Having that discussion with them when they're in a calm place or whatever you need to do to create that environment to help share your own feelings with the situation and communicate the limits, the, the ACT model. Communicating the limits and describe what expectations that they can have of you that if they misbehave again, per se, then they can expect that you will walk away and wait until a better, more appropriate time. It helps to target alternative behaviors, giving them three ideas of ways to be more successful. That would be one way to help improve the situation if they're willing to work with you. So whether it's in anger or in just sometimes sarcasm, sarcasm is a subtle form of anger. And you treat it much the same way that if that person sarcastically makes fun of you in front of others, then you need to remove yourself from that. And depending on the situation, if you feel strong enough and it would be appropriate in the situation, you can do it right then. You can counteract that right in the moment. Or you may need to wait for a different time to communicate to that individual. Uh, the same kinds of things that it was not appreciated and is not appropriate and to tell them what they will expect in the future from you if they do that again in front of others and if it's not in front of others then you're open to discuss that all right I hope you enjoyed what we talked about and can apply yourself to better parenting yourself and your partner I know most important as we learn to self-soothe, we need to parent ourselves as well, learning to discipline and manage and encourage ourselves. Most importantly, encourage ourselves to trust that life is great and we can do better and better as we practice and focus on those things. Thanks for being here. We'll Thanks for listening today. I hope you find this information and tools helpful. Please subscribe to the podcast channel so you never miss an episode. And be sure to join us next week for more great information. And of course, don't forget to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, for more information on my live webinar and other great resources and videos. Until next week, onward and upward.